Symphony of Shadows, Second Movement, Guillaume Distel, to Infinity, Raise Four. Woods walked the gray halls of Cybele's ship, the Steel Stallion, with Lieutenant Rashid close behind him. In their pursuit of Knox, they had done short bursts of threading in the direction of the Firefox's path. Red was leading the way with a sizable fleet, but with a ship as large as the Steel Stallion, they had to be conservative with their use of the technology. If they went too far, they would not have the fuel for returning to Providence. While Rujay was correct, they were able to follow a general path to the Firefox. Unfortunately, there was still no sign of the famed vessel. The trail had gone cold when they discovered that glowing crystal boulder floating around. Woods had seen that very thing be taken by the Firefox more than 24 hours ago. It was not the only path, either. Another similar one ran parallel and then simply disappeared. Woods had no doubt who that could be. Sornois, we are still out there, one step ahead of us. There was dissent brewing between Cybele and Red. The cyborg wanted to take a measured approach, setting a trap for Knox, who would need providence if he wanted to survive out here. Red, on the other hand, wanted to shoot the crystal, assuming it would bring them back to the Constellation Sector, or at worst, lead them to Knox. Woods was on the side of Cybele, thinking it better to bring that crystal back with them and see what else they could discover about this mysterious material and its properties. Woods wasn't convinced yet what he would do once they found the last son, if they found him. Woods would prefer to keep the man and his crew alive. They would be useful to him in the reshaping of the Constellation Sector. As it was, though, he saw no way of protecting Knox. He had betrayed his people, at least how they saw it. Cybele and Red were in control of the situation now, and unless that changed, there was no hope for Avery's adopted child. Cybele had invited Woods to his quarters, and he had accepted without hesitation. He imagined it would include a coterie of cyborgs, with the more than capable Nova Lieutenant Rashid at his back, but he was surprised to find himself alone with the captain. Woods motioned the lieutenant to remain outside as he entered Cybele's quarters. Sit! Cybele commanded. Woods obliged the man as he took in what he could from the room. It was... neat. That was the best word he could find to describe it. Sparse and gray. Something cold clung to the space, and Woods had to stop himself from shivering. Well, let me see it, added the captain. See what? asked Woods. The damned letter, Cybele snarled impatiently. A pardon. Woods pulled the letter from his uniform, holding it up with two fingers. I take it that means you're curious about the offer. He met Cybele's eyes, and despite himself, he felt his chest tighten. Metal and skin fused into an unsettling facade, highlighted by his glowing red eyes. Cybele must have noticed his reaction because the cyborg's lips curled unnaturally upward in a jagged smile. The captain relieved Woods of the letter and began to read it. Woods took the opportunity to slip a cigarette from his pocket. Do you mind? he asked. Cybele responded silently with his assent, reading the letter intently. Woods lit the end, finding himself again without an ashtray. 
By now, he should have learned to bring his own. Instead, he stood both to explore the room and to find somewhere to ash. The only thing of any interest were a pair of disfigured metal tags that hung near the door. Woods took the metal in his hands, sucking on the cigarette and puffing out smoke. He drew the tags close to his eye and inspected them. Woods could make out a few letters and numbers, but not much else. You ever meet her? Cybele asked behind him. Who? asked Woods, turning toward the captain. Her radiance, he responded with contempt. I fought for her during the war. Woods looked around for somewhere to tap his cigarette, but before he did, the ash fell to the ground. Cybele sneered. Apologies, captain. That must have been something. What did you think of her? Woods shrugged. I believed in her. Or at the very least, I believed more in her than that brother of hers. To think that he kidnapped and killed her child. Woods shook his head. And that is the least of his crimes. At first I fought against him, but after a time I came to respect Pontifex Kaladi. Why do you ask? Cybel sneered. I met her once, when this happened to me. Cybele's face slackened as if suddenly lifeless, those sanguine eyes growing brighter. What makes you think any of us would want this pardon? If the Republic's willing to go this far, that means they're weak. Seems like maybe we should be pressing our advantage, not submitting to your will. There is some truth in what you say. If I were in your position, it's unlikely I would accept. Too much uncertainty, with me most of all. And yet, here you are, doing a piss-poor job selling your pardon. Sabel tossed the paper back at Woods. I imagine Sornois would still be in command once I arrived. Woods left the cigarette hanging in his mouth as he folded the pardon and placed it back in his uniform. I believe I could have convinced him, and that the rest of you would have come around. Circumstances have changed. What makes you think he would have agreed? Woods made his way back to the chair and sat. I read your file. The unredacted one. Cybele laughed. Even the unredacted one's missing some information. There's no one left who knows my whole story. Not even Sornois? asked Woods innocently. The cyborg had no eyelids, but Woods could have sworn he blinked at the question. Not even him. Did he ever mention me? Sornois, I mean. Never. Uh, I'm not surprised. There's little from our time together he would willingly choose to recollect. He's buried those days deeper than any treasure, and burned the map besides. What was he like back then? asked Cybele. He was... difficult. If I'm being completely honest, I disliked the man greatly when we first met. He was smarter than me, and he let me know it in no uncertain terms. He let everyone know. That can be forgiven by most when the reach of arrogance is outpaced by reality, and humiliation sets in. But that was never the case with Sornois. He made enemies of a lot of people. Elias Adebigo, most of all. Adebigo? cut in Cybele. You know of them? asked Woods. Who hasn't? I've heard of no Elias, though. He was the black sheep of the family. The child they secluded away from the public. You know how the rich and powerful can be when it comes to their shame, adept at veiling harsh realities and turning them to their advantage. And Elias was 
Woods took a long drag and exhaled. Harsh. Nassarnois, most of all. Both men refused to submit to the other. That rivalry honed the edge of each man, but Elias's connections to his family put a ceiling on Sornois that he could never overcome. After a time, I was one of the few willing to still raid with him. Eventually, my own dislike turned to respect, and then to a loose sort of friendship, or at least mutual trust. I'm not sure anyone but Samuel could have called Sornois a friend, though. Samuel? asked Cybele. Sornois never mentioned him, either. That is even less of a surprise, truth be told. Woods finished his cigarette and lit another. He was a young man when Sornois found him, picked up from the wreckage of a raid. Not sure what he saw in him, but it must have been a bit of himself, because after that they were inseparable. Like as thieves, as you say. It was a beautiful thing, really, and it distracted Sornois from his feud with Elias for a time. Issue was that Sornois kept on pulling off the impossible, and Elias strung together a few embarrassing failures. The dynamic shifted, and soon the entitled Elias was impotent against Sornois. But not against Samuel, growled Cybele. You have the way of it. There is much cruelty in men. You would know, of course. Your cruelty is somewhat of a legend, but there's something different about the cruelty of the elite. They can be like a child playing with toys. So what if the toy breaks? There's always another one to take its place. These games, I suppose we can call them, escalated quickly and dangerously. But Elias was careful to hide his petty degradations and sabotage. Everyone knew it was him but who was a master of disinformation, of misdirection. What happened to Samuel? asked Cybele. No one's quite sure if what happened next was in fact Elias's doing, but the outcome must have pleased him just the same. Eventually, Sornois captured a ship and gave command of it to Samuel. On the boys' very first raid, there was an issue with the engine, which Samuel and the engineer on board went to inspect. An explosion followed, killing the engineer and crippling Samuel, the entire left side of his body burned, his eye boiled out of its socket. He lived, barely, and it was clear he would never go raiding again. Let me guess, said Cybele. Sornois wouldn't let that lie. I've never seen the man in more of a rage. Not the hot-headed anger I expected, but a cold, calculating fury. For a while, things seemed to go back to normal. Sornois cowed. But then one day an unfortunate incident occurred. An innocent mislabeling of materials. An accidental leak. An adverse chemical reaction. By chance Elias happened to be in the vicinity, and the only one harmed. The chemical, whatever it was, burned half his face off, and he suffered significant disfigurement, much like what happened to Samuel. Cybele smiled. Poetic. A tragic one. Time passed. Everyone thought the feud had ended. Elias nursed his wounds patiently and lay low, while Sornois' star rose in the ranks of Kaladi. A year passed, almost two. We all forgot, or at least our attention was elsewhere for a time. At some point, there was word of a large weapons transport happening. It was supposed to have an entire armada escorting it. The shipment needed to pass through a gate, that we had the code to disable. The idea was to let half the armada through the gate, turn it off, and ambush the rest. 
Still, no one was bold enough to seize the opportunity. Not even Sornois at first. Seemed too good to be true. He was suspicious, but his crew eventually convinced him it was worth the risk. This would be his defining moment. The chance for him to finally make a place for himself amongst the intelligentsia. He asked me to join him in the raid. As I said, we were comrades, if not friends, and he was going to need support if he was going to pull off this raid. I'd like to think he also wanted to share in the glory. Both of us were self-made men who came from nothing and nowhere. Wood sighed. The raid started smooth enough. Then everything went to shit, guessed Cybele. Indeed. We had tested the code prior to the arrival of the Armada and it worked. We prepared ourselves thoroughly, even rehearsing the raid. We all felt confident of our success. Sonois even brought Samuel along to observe and provide emotional support, I assume. The Armada arrived just as we expected and approached the gate, just as we planned. Once half the Armada passed, we disabled the gate with no trouble and executed our attack with precision. Then, somehow, the gate was turned on before it fully closed, and the rest of the armada returned. Another squad of cruisers threaded to our position and flanked us. Everything was chaos. Our own fleet took heavy damage. Many of them abandoned the mission. So Enwan and his crew were in a tough spot, having placed himself as the spearhead of the ambush. He was completely trapped. How did he escape? It was Samuel's doing. Their ship had taken significant damage and many had already taken the few escape pods. A singularly desperate action as they were easy targets for the cruisers. I was stuck in my own bind, but had cleared a hole for my escape when I received a message from Samuel. He had incapacitated Sornois, thrown him in an escape pod, and asked that I rescue him. It is risky, but I have a knack for overcoming risk, and I was not going to leave my comrade behind if I could do something about it. Truly, the only way we managed was thanks to Samuel. Once Sornois was out, he overclocked the thread engine, and the explosion was enough of a distraction for me to rescue Sornois and escape with our lives. Once Sornois learned of Samuel's sacrifice, he disappeared. Elias did the same, a clear admission of guilt in the failed betrayal. Afraid to face the wrath of the infamous Captain Sornois, I imagine. We all know it became a Sornois, but Elias's fate is still unclear. Cybele chuckled morbidly. I'm sure Sornois got his revenge. Your story does you no good, though. Why would Sornois accept this pardon after all the suffering the Republic has caused him? It may have been Elias who was in the wrong, but the Pontifex allowed it to happen. She shares in the culpability. Perhaps, but much has changed since the war. The Pontifex may still be in control, but the Empire is spread too thin. Rebel factions multiply each year the death of one birthing hundreds more. The gates have opened up the universe to humanity, but it has shackled us to our own momentum. In order to sustain itself, the Empire must grow. To grow, it needs an ever-increasing supply of resources. And for that, it needs its most abundant sector to remain peaceful. As long as we can make that a reality, they'll forget about us, while we grow rich and powerful. We will be a nation within a nation. Weak, snarled Cybele. I will not submit to the likes of them. Dangerous, more like, responded Woods. The Republic allows the pirates menacing because it has, until now, seen the Constellation Sector 
as valuable enough to make the trouble worth it. If I fail in my mission, that may no longer be the case. Cybele's eyes opened a little wider, but his features remained still. What are you suggesting? That they would destroy the gate? Woods nodded. I was not supposed to share that knowledge, but considering the current situation, I believe you at least deserve to know. You would all be trapped. You may survive a generation, maybe two, maybe more, if Providence had no major issues. But you will have been exiled in true. More ash from his cigarette fell onto the table, but Cybele ignored it. That is a more compelling argument, Cybele considered a moment. What would become of us if we did agree to this pardon? I don't think we would take to a normal life. That would be for me and your counsel to solve. It's my hope that I could channel your less savory nature in a more productive direction. There is always dark work to be done, always soldiers needed to protect. I would need generals I could trust. Woods cautioned a passive signal at his intentions for Cybele. The cyborg captain stood, towering over Woods. Woods got to his feet as well, balancing the remainder of his cigarette on the edge of the table. He lifted his chest out, but clasped his hands behind his back. Sit down. Cybele pushed Woods easily back into his chair and moved to the door. Cybele took the tags from their hook and tossed them to him. Woods snatched them from the air. When I was a mercenary... I was no soldier. I protected no one. I obeyed orders, sure, but my purpose was clear. To kill, to murder, to sow fear and reap souls. Sow and reap. Cybele got close again and pressed his claw down on Woods' shoulder, holding him in place. Sow and reap. Cybele punctuated through gritted teeth. Those were the closest to a medal I ever got. Dog tags, marred to shit from the explosion that forged the thing I am today. They're a reminder of what I am. I may look the part more now, but I was a monster then. Am a monster now. Will forever be a monster. Plain and simple. He leaned down, his eyes unflinching rubies. Woods did not fight the pressure, Cybele exerted. It would have been a futile exercise against the cyborg's superior strength. Instead, he raised his own hand and placed it gently on the captain's shoulder. I cannot redeem your past, began Woods. But I can change the course of your future. A cosmic pivot is happening. Can't you feel it? Nothing will be the same, whatever the outcome from this. It is in these moments that you can be swept away by the force of events. Woods took the tags in his free hand and pressed them into Cybele's. Or be a part of shaping them. I do not care about your past and what you've done, or even who you are now. I am concerned with who you will be when this ends. Sornwa has that same look sometimes, observed Cybele. What look? asked Woods. 
like he could hold the sun in his hands, no matter how much it burned him. The last of the ash dropped from the cigarette. If Sornwa still lives, perhaps you'll have the chance to convince him. Cybele inspected the tags in his hand and tossed them into Woods's lap. When you toss your cigarette, do me a favor and get rid of those for me. That man died a long time ago, and no one mourns the loss. Woods heard a beeping noise, and a voice came over the comms. Captain, we have a problem. What? Cybele growled unpleasantly. Red and her fleet are making moves. I think they're going to try and shoot the crystal. Patch me into the slippery bitch and continue anchorage, but prepare to engage the mosquitoes. I'm coming to you. Cybele was nice enough to let Woods follow him. Woods took in the view of space before them. He could see for himself that Red's fleet moved as one, like a tsunami, closer to the crystal. Stars blinked in the distant emptiness as they entered the bridge together. Captain Woods saw a light flash and watched as something shifted in space. He wasn't sure how he knew, but there was a sense of disorientation, like having woken abruptly from a dream. Woods noticed the stars had changed position. Cybele must have felt it too because his gaze went to the navigation instruments instinctively with Woods's. His stomach dropped. Still nothing, and perhaps now we are even more lost, thought Woods. They must have shot it. Cybele grunted his displeasure. See if you can pick up the Firefox's signal now. The helmswoman, whose hands were somehow plugged into the console, nodded. A moment later, a map appeared over the screen with a blinking light. That is them, Captain. Cybele allowed himself a grisly smile. We have them. Red, what are you doing? Cybele asked over the comms. Red did not answer, but her ship streamed past the much larger steel stallion, while the majority of her fleet created a dense curtain of ships to slow the dreadnought. Red! Cybele was met with only silence. She's going to try and get to him first, he growled. Why? asked Woods. Who knows why Red does what she does? She's fucking cracked. We will not be able to outrun her in this ship, Woods stated the obvious. Already, the fleet Red had brought along with her was obstructing the stallion's path forward. Sir, the helmswoman interrupted, there's something you gotta see, she pointed to the screen. Woods gaped at what they saw. Is that a planet? finished Cybele. It looks like, Woods squinted and blinked his eyes. Earth? Can't be, Cybele shook his head. The nav system would know, and there'd be satellites and debris orbiting. Their signal's gone, Captain. Gone? Did they threat again? asked Cybele. No, seems like they're planet side. Must have turned off their transponder. They'll know we're here. We need to get there before Red, said Woods. Do you have smaller ships that can follow? Cybele considered and nodded. Follow me. Bring a couple of those Novas with you. We might need them where we're going. Sir, there's an unidentified object nearby as well. What is it? asked Cybele. Don't know, sir. Woods felt his mouth go dry, but outwardly he kept his poise. It's Sornois. It must be. He turned to Cybele. Red tried to kill him, Captain. Cybele sneered, but Woods pressed on. If he still lives, which you and I know he must, then she will face his wrath. I feel that her target is not the Firefox, but Captain Sornois. If we do not work together to stop her, she'll succeed. Take her out. Now! This is our chance. Cybele's hand clapped against the side of Woods' face gently, then moved just as gently to his throat. 
I could crush you right now. The cool metal made Wood shiver slightly. If I do that, Red's fleet will respond in kind. The cyborg shared a grisly smile, the metal of his face gleaming. He removed his hand from Woods' throat and patted him on the shoulder. You Republic folk, everything's always so serious. Lighten up. This'll be fun. Woods felt the urge to rub at his neck, but he ignored it. Showing any sign of weakness would loosen any grip of control he had on the situation. Oh, believe me, said Woods, with a bit of ale in me, I'll loosen right up. But now is a time for action. Red understands that, and if we don't take the initiative from her, we may never find our way back home. Woods could see the planet clearly now. The terrestrial pearl glimmered as a distant star, much like Earth's sun, showered it with light. Their trajectory set a course for the dark side of the planet, only just tickled by the light, while clouds and shadows still obscured the terrain. Bonnie, commanded Cybele, I'll be taking a squad in the Kraken. Tell them to prepare to leave now. You will approach the planet there and orbit. Do not attack Red's fleet unless I give you express orders. Wait for my call. Might be we need to make a quick escape. Yes, sir. Do not fail me again. There will not be a third chance. Do you understand? threatened Cybele. Bonnie nodded, but did not say a word. Cybele grabbed Woods by his uniform and shoved him forward. He took the lead, calling the Novas to meet him at the docks. Moments ago, Woods was expounding on the desire to shape events and not be pulled about by them. Woods felt the gravity of fate exerting its force on him now, despite his resistance. He breathed uneasily as he entered the Kraken and approached this odd planet. Symphony of Shadows is a production of Synapse Radio, written, produced, and performed by J.S. Rose. Follow us on Instagram at Synapse Radio and Twitter at Connect2Synapse, that's the number two, or visit our website for all things awesome, synapse-radio.com.